The following program needs no explanation. Really. We open this episode with Verna telling T-Bone about last evening's episode of Macabre Suspense Theater. And the veiled figure was revealed to be Gerald the Gardener. Yeah? So what? Gerald the Gardener was murdered ten years ago. Did they use that flourish in the show? Not exactly that one, but it was close. So let me get this straight. The veiled figure walked through the graveyard every full moon. Right? Right, T-Bone. And anyone unlucky enough to be in the graveyard at that time ended up dead. Ended up dead? And the murderer was the gardener named Gerald, who had been murdered ten years earlier? Yes, T-Bone. Isn't that spooky? About as spooky as my purple polka dot silk tie. But you don't have a purple polka dot silk tie, T-Bone. But I had one ten years ago. <laughs> Cut that out, T-Bone. You're frightening me. When you need a private eye and times are tough, you may not have the resources to afford Philo Vance, Frank Race, Bill Lance, or Michael Waring. So who can you turn to except... T-Bone Stone, the discount detective. Yes, T-Bone Stone gives you more value for your covert detection dollar. Today's exciting episode is called The Case of the Peppermint Panopticon and stars Jake Vandebrake as T-Bone Stone, the discount detective, and Gloriana Spicer as Verna Gibson. T-Bone Stone, the discount detective's office. Verna speaking. How may I help you? Who is calling, please? One moment, Mr. Hughes. There is a Mr. Jordan Hughes to speak to you, T-Bone. I'll take it in my office, Verna. T-Bone will be with you in just a moment, sir. I hurried into my office and picked up the phone. Jordan Hughes from Jackbo City? No. Jordan Hughes from San Antonio. Do you know a Jordan Hughes from Jackbo City? Just making sure it was you, buddy. How you doing? Not bad. So, T-Bone, you're some kind of detective now? Yeah, got into the business, well, not long after the last time I saw you. What are you up to these days? Just trying to stay out of trouble. How's that working out for you, Jordan? Great so far. I was working in the oil fields until a couple of months ago. Then a rich uncle that I hadn't seen in quite a while died and left me a building here in Crossroads City. And now I'm trying my hand at apartment management. What building are you talking about? The Peninsula Building in the old Steamboat District. The Peninsula Building? Isn't it kind of old and run down? It's old, but it's still in pretty good shape. I plan to put some time and money into it. Jordan, you're not calling me to come over and pick up a paintbrush, are you? No, pal. I have something for you to see and give me your opinion about. There was a time I would have admonished you about ending a sentence with the preposition. But that was so long ago. You're not with the grammar police, are you? No. I'm no Steinway. What does the piano have to do with the grammar police? Anyway, do you have time to come over today? It shouldn't take long. Yeah, I got nothing going on today. I'll be right over. I'll be in the manager's office. Sounds good. I'll see you soon. Yep, see you in a while. I grabbed my official detective trench coat and walked through the door to Verna's desk. Where are you off to, boss? I'll be at the Peninsula building for a while. A case? I don't think so. I'll let you know. Okay, boss. See you later. It was a ten-minute drive to the Peninsula building. 
I parked out front and walked up the steps into the lobby. There was a small room to the right with an open door, and I recognized Jordan Hughes sitting behind a desk. T-Bone Stone, it's good to see you again. We shook hands. He had a ruddy appearance, and his grip was firm. Probably a testament to the time he had spent working in the oil fields. What can I do for you, Jordan? Let's take the elevator upstairs. I want you to see one of the apartments. There's not a dead body, is there? Not that I know about. Come and look. I followed him to the elevator. We made unimportant small talk on the ride up. Apartment number 606 is right down the hall. Down the hall? Let me throw this to a break. A break? That's right. This is radio, isn't it? If only it were. It's only a podcast. Hey, sound guy. Swell the music and throw it to a break. T-Bone Stone, The Discount Detective is a very amateur broadcast theater production written by Donald Spicer and directed by Doug Schaefer. As we return to the next act of the case of the Peppermint Panopticon, T-Bone is walking down a corridor on the sixth floor of the Peninsula Building. I had met up with an old acquaintance, Jordan Hughes, and he wanted to show me something in room 606. There it is to the right. Let me unlock the door. I followed him into the entry room. I instantly got a weird feeling. I must have winced because Jordan said, Do you feel it too? Something weird about the place? Yeah, I feel it too. Does it feel like this in every apartment? No, just this one. I haven't been able to rent it. I've even lowered the rent. People walk in to look at the place and leave. I've stopped showing this apartment. I don't know what I can do. Have you contacted a priest to see about some sort of blessing or an exorcism? The priest who came here stepped into the room, crossed himself, and hurried out the door. Like I said, I don't know what I can do. I want to read you something I found. He produced an envelope. I found this behind a loose brick in the fireplace. I'll listen to it, but not here. Let's go out in the hall. Certainly, T-Bone. We left the apartment and walked back toward the elevator. As soon as he closed the door, the weird feeling went away. There are a couple chairs by the elevator. I'll read it there. We sat down and he removed several handwritten pages from the envelope. This letter is dated seven years ago. My name is Darren Reese. My wife, My wife Deborah, Deborah and I moved, and I moved into, into this apartment, apartment a few, a few weeks, weeks ago. ago. We recently moved to Crossroad City and were driving around looking for some place to live. Deborah noticed this building first. Honey, that looked nice. And there was an apartment available sign. I don't know. It looked kind of... We've been driving around all day with no luck. I don't want to stay in that cheap motel one more night. All right, dear. Let me turn around, and we'll take a look. We went into the Peninsula Apartments, and an old man introduced himself as the apartment manager. We followed him up the elevator to the apartment. The place is furnished. Let me open the door so you can look around. When I stepped in, I felt there was something odd about the room. Then Deborah stepped in and looked around. Furniture is lovely. Oh, I love this place. A little sprucing up and it'll be the perfect home. <gasps> Let's lease it, honey. We haven't even heard what the rent is yet. And besides... You two go on and figure out the details. But honey... I want to look around and plan how to decorate the place. As she looked around the other rooms, the manager and I hammered out the details. The rent was lower than I thought and the location was convenient for my new job. Couldn't help noticing the grin on Deborah's face as she stepped back into the room and smiled at the manager. Well, I guess we'll take it. Let's go downstairs and get that lease signed. And I'll give you the keys. 
I told Deborah I was going with the manager to complete the deal. Then I said I'd drive over to the motel and check out. Honey, do you need me to go with you to help load up the car with our stuff? We don't have much. I can handle it. Go on, do your magic. I'll be back in a while. The manager and I signed the lease and he gave me the keys. I drove over to the motel and packed our meager belongings and checked out. I brought up a box of knickknacks when I returned to the apartment. Oh good, you brought the box I wanted. You go on and bring up the rest of our stuff while I start decorating. I just love this place. The manager told me that there was a pushcart in the basement. I got it and brought everything up in one trip. By the time I got back from returning the pushcart to the basement, Deborah had the place looking rather homey. Oh, one of the cupboards over there already had some board games and toys, so we won't be lacking for entertainment. There's chess and checkers, backgammon and scrabble. There are also a couple decks of cards, a harmonica, and a mystic egg ball. Since we hadn't had the time to make any friends, we spent the next few evenings playing some of the games that were in the cupboard. One night, after a rousing game of gin rummy, Deborah made a suggestion. Let's get out the Mystic 8-Ball and see what the future holds for us. She brought the Mystic 8-Ball to the table. I've never played with one of these things. How does it work? Oh, I had one when I was a girl. Didn't make a single important decision without asking my 8-Ball. You just ask your questions, shake the ball, and then flip it over and read the answer. Did you get any answers you didn't like? Yes, but you can always ask again. I mostly asked if a certain boy liked me, would my husband be handsome, stuff like that. Come on, at least give it a try. I relented and she picked up the eight ball and shook it. Will I find a job tomorrow? She flipped the ball over and read the answer. It says, sorry honey, that's not going to happen. Okay, that is weird. My Mystic Eight Ball never answered like that. We return to the case of the Peppermint Panopticon and the next act of T-Bone Stone, the Discount Detective. As we return to this week's exciting episode, Darren and Deborah Reese have gotten an unusual answer from the Mystic Eight Ball. Look, Darren, read the answer. So this isn't a normal response for an eight ball? As I recall, it was yes, no, maybe, or try later. Let's ask another question. Okay, let me try it. What's the name of the winning horse in the fifth race tomorrow at the Crossroads City Racetrack? That's silly. You need to ask a yes or no question. I flipped it over to see what it said. Deborah leaned closer to read the answer. Red Rumor? Is that the name of a horse that's running at the racetrack tomorrow? I don't know. I don't bet the ponies. There is a racetrack across the highway from the plant, but I haven't been there. Can you find out? Well, a guy I work named Doug, uh, Doug Walters, had a racing form on his desk today. I'll ask him tomorrow. Let's put the ball away and go to bed. I'm getting tired. Okay, go on. I'll just be a few minutes. The next morning at work, I saw Doug Walters sitting at his desk. He had a racing form in his coat pocket. He looked up at me when I approached. Reese, isn't it? You're new around here. Yeah, it's Darren Reese. Do you mind if I ask you a personal question? Sure, Darren. What's on your mind? You're a horse racing fan, aren't you? I I notice you have a racing form there in your pocket as well as in your trash can. I dabble occasionally on the ponies, yes. Why do you ask? I was wondering if you know if there is a horse named Red Rumor running in the fifth race today at the racetrack. Let me look. 
He pulled the racing form from his pocket and looked it over. Why, yes. Red Rumor is running in the fifth race today. Do you have a tip or something? No, I was just wondering about Doesn't look like it has much of a chance, though. Yeah, why? Says here, the odds are 20 to 1. You should never bet long shots unless you want to lose money. Did you hear something about it? No, not really. Why don't we walk across the highway at lunch? Have a couple of hot dogs. You can put a deuce on this red rumor nag. After work, we can go back over and see how the horse did. I don't know, Doug. My wife will worry you. It'll only take half an hour or so. And if you win, you can take her out to dinner. Even though it's probably unlikely. Well, okay. I'll see you right before lunch. I'll meet you out by the gate. We went to the racetrack and downed a couple hot dogs and went over to make the bet. I put $5 on Red Rumor to win in the fifth. Doug thought I was crazy. He bet on idiots and Chapman on the nose. On the way back to the plant, my boss saw me crossing the highway. He confronted me about being five minutes late. Don't make a habit of lounging around at the track. Betting the horses will rob you of your sanity. Just had a couple of hot dogs. And made a few bets, I think. Excuse me, but I have work to do. That you do, young man. I hurried back to my desk and got back to work. When I got close to quitting time, Doug wandered over. Meet me at the gate after you punch out. I don't know if I should. Come on. Old Ford can't say anything. It's our time, not his. Frank Ford was standing at the door to the office and frowned when he saw Doug and me talking. What'd you say? See you by the gate? I nodded, and about 20 minutes later, after punching out, Doug and I walked across the highway. I was amazed when I saw the big board that had the day's results. How did you know? Red Rumor won, and that ticket in your pocket is worth a hundred bucks. How did your horse do? I doubt if it has finished the race yet, and it's been 45 minutes. Ah, that's all right. Two bucks won't break me. I cashed in the ticket and drove back to the apartment. When I walked in the door, Deborah didn't look very happy. I went to the library down the street, and they aren't hiring at this time. The lady told me to try back in a couple of months. Even with your experience? You worked at that library back home for several years. You practically ran the place. Don't worry. Something will come along. Oh dear, I haven't even started dinner yet. Cheer up, babe. Look at this. That looks like cash. Where'd you get it? It's not payday yet, is it? I put five dollars on Red Rumor to win. And guess what? You mean it won? Yes, at twenty to one. Here are five brand new $20 bills, and I'm taking my best girl out to dinner tonight. You mean I have to stay here all by my lonesome tonight? Don't be silly. You're my best girl. Come on, put on your best hat and let's go. So I am your best girl? We didn't waste any time. We had drinks and dinner at a fancy place downtown and danced between courses. I even brought home a bag of leftovers for work the next day. When we got back home, Deborah wanted to ask the eight ball more questions. Let's ask for another winning horse. I don't think that's a good idea. Besides, it's late. Aw, oh, come on. It'll just take a few minutes. And besides, it's just for fun. I relented and she got the eight ball out and sat beside me. Mystic eight ball. I need the name of another winning horse for tomorrow. That wasn't even a question, and you didn't mention which race. Let's see if it answered. It says Red Rumor again. Is it going to race again tomorrow? Doug told me Red Rumor isn't supposed to run again for another couple of weeks. We 
return to the case of the Peppermint Panopticon and the next act of T-Bone Stone, the Discount Detective. This time as we return, Darren and Deborah Reese have gotten another strange answer from the Mystic 8-Ball. Doug Walters told me Red Rumor wouldn't be running anytime soon. I have another question we could ask. Yeah? Mystic 8-Ball, where should I look for another job? She shook the ball longer than usual, then flipped it over. Main Branch... The ball must want me to try the main branch of the library. It's way downtown, isn't it? I can take a bus tomorrow, while you're at work. Are you sure? Mystic 8-Ball was two for two yesterday. I couldn't dispute her logic, so I went to bed. The next day at work, Doug came to my desk. Darren, do you have any tips on the horses today? No, Doug. Come on, where'd you get the tip? Out of thin air. It was a fluke. I'm not playing the horses anymore. Okay, okay, I can take a hint. You want to keep all the tips to yourself. He turned to walk away and my boss Frank Ford was standing behind him eyeing us both. He pulled the racing form out of Doug's pocket. Are you two planning another lunchtime visit to the racetrack? No, sir. In fact, see this bag I'm holding? I brought my lunch today. You two have good jobs here. I don't want to see Ruin at all betting on horses. He turned around and marched away. He seems to be in his usual good mood today. Hey, Darren? Doug sauntered off to his desk. I started to think that Mystic 8-Ball had gotten me in trouble with my boss. When I got home from work, Deborah was on cloud nine. Darren? I give you permission to kiss the newest employee of the Crossroads City Library's main branch. Did you bring her home to meet me? No, silly. It's me. We embraced and kissed. It turns out that the bus stop right in front of our building stops at the main branch. There are no connections and the trip is only around 25 minutes. How did you get the job so quickly? Well, as it happens, the head librarian knew my old boss. She called her up during the interview, they spoke for a few minutes, and I was hired on the spot. How about that, big boy? I'm impressed. When do you start? Tomorrow. I should get home just about the same time you do, depending, of course, on traffic. The Mystic 8-Ball really hit it out of the park with that one, didn't it? They have really improved that toy since I was a girl. I wanted to talk to you about that. I'm in hot water with my boss about the bet on Red Rumor. I don't think we should play with that ball anymore. Well, all right, honey. With me working, we'll have lots to do around the place in the evening. We won't have much time for games. But you must admit... Settle then. Anyway, you have lots to do before tomorrow, working woman. That's Mrs. Working Woman to you. We were busy for the next couple of days and didn't touch the Mystic 8-Ball. Deborah shared about her work, and I shared about mine. One of the other girls told me that Mrs. Mosley, she's my immediate supervisor, was trying to get her daughter hired into the position I got. She's been acting hostile towards me. Has she threatened to fire you or something? No, but I feel that she's out to get me. Can you go to the head librarian with the problem? I don't want to bother Mrs. Hannah since I just started. I don't want the others thinking I'm a whiner. What do you want to do about it? Let's see what advice the Mystic 8-Ball has. We'll ask about our work situations. You have that boss of yours who's been giving you a bad time. I really don't think that's a very good idea. There has to be another option. I want to ask the ball and see what it says. Against my better judgment, I sat down next to her. She started shaking the ball vigorously. Mystic 8-Ball, what can be done about our work problems? She flipped the ball, 
and read the answer. Red rum? Do you think it meant to say red rumor again? I took the ball and locked it away. I don't understand. It was so clear before. I'm going to throw that thing away. I refuse to make my life decisions based on a stupid toy. Later on, as I carried the ball to the trash chute, I perceived a feeling of dread. It felt like something was trying to keep me from getting rid of it. I tossed it down the trash chute with a second thought. Deborah and I went to bed and I fell into an uneasy sleep. I awoke from a terrible nightmare. I lay sweating and tried in vain to remember the dream, but all I remember was a feeling of trepidation and foreboding. After a while, I went back to sleep, and when we got up in the morning, Deborah and I hardly spoke. I had some bad dreams last night, and I didn't get much sleep. How did you sleep? I had some insomnia after a nightmare, but I'll be able to make it through the day. I hope I can rest better tonight. Me too. I'll see you after work. Even though I couldn't remember the details of the nightmare, the thought of it clouded my mind all day at work. I did my best to steer clear of Doug Walters and Mr. Ford. When I got back to the apartment building, Deborah had just gotten off the bus. She met me as I locked the car. I'm still pretty tired. Let's just have a simple dinner and turn in early tonight. That's a good plan. During the elevator ride, Deborah told me she had gotten into an argument with Mrs. Mosley. I'll tell you about it later. Now I just want to relax. A dreadful feeling came back as soon as I stepped through the door and went into the living room. In a few minutes, Deborah called out to me. I thought you threw away the Mystic 8-Ball last night. What are you talking about? I tossed it down the trash chute. Then what's it doing on the table? We return to the case of the Peppermint Panopticon and the next act of T-Bone Stone, The Discount Detective. As our episode continues, the recently trashed Mystic 8-Ball has mysteriously appeared on the kitchen table. I distinctly remember throwing it in the trash. Then why is it on the kitchen table? I don't know. We both left at about the same time this morning. Do you think someone is playing a prank on us? You said you threw it in the trash, right? Yes, I hurled it down the chute. All right, this is frightening me. I'm going to start a fire and we can burn that thing to ashes. Deborah nodded her approval and I started a fire. Once it was blazing, Deborah handed me the ball and I pitched it into the fireplace. It shattered against the bricks. We watched for a long time until nothing was left but ashes. I stirred the ashes to make sure the pieces were completely consumed. Now I'm really sorry about how I extolled my Mystic 8 ball. I agree with you. That thing would have just brought trouble. Let's have some dinner and put this whole thing behind us. I'll get something started. Let's just play cards or something until bedtime tonight. Good idea, dear. a nice evening. I fell into a deep sleep and woke up in the middle of the night. I could tell Deborah was not in bed and saw a light under the door coming from the living room. I got up to see what she was doing, and the weird feeling came on me like a wave sweeping over my mind. When I went into the living room, I saw Deborah sitting at the kitchen table. Honey, what are you doing? Can't you sleep? She didn't answer, and as I walked into the kitchen, I saw the Mystic 8-Ball on the table in front of her. I looked at her. She had lifeless eyes and appeared to be in a trance. I sat down across from her. As I sat, my thoughts started growing dark. And 
I too fell into a trance. When I gained consciousness, Deborah and I were sitting on the sofa. I shook my head to clear my thoughts. Then I noticed my hands were bloody. Darren, where are we? I looked at her. She had blood on her nightgown. You have blood all over you. <gasps> There's blood on me. I don't know what happened. Are you bleeding? I don't think so. I, I don't know what happened. I saw a trail of blood coming from the front door to where we were sitting on the sofa. Deborah seemed to be frozen in fear. I wanted to call for help, but I felt an overwhelming urge to write down what had happened to us since moving into this apartment. Those are the facts. At, At least, least that, that is how, is I, how remember I remember it. it. Jordan showed me the letter he had just read. Several of the pages were bloodstained. I researched what the newspapers reported at the time of the incident. Apparently, that night, Frank Ford and Laura Mosley were murdered in their homes. Darren and Deborah's bosses? Yes. In a separate story, the paper said that the manager of the Peninsula Apartments called the police. He told the paper that he followed a trail of what he thought was blood from the elevator to the door of room 606. He called the police when he discovered two dead bodies on a sofa. The police reported that it looked like a murder-suicide. What do you think, T-Bone? I think you're freaking me out. Did I pull a prank on you the last time we were together? Not that I can recall. The paper also said that the police recovered a bloody butcher's knife and a blood-stained mystic eight ball in room 606. The items were taken into evidence. I said stop it. Was there anything else? Um, in case Verna asks? Yeah, there's a mystic eight ball in the cupboard. Do you have any questions you need answered? <laughs> I just remembered. I have an appointment with the district attorney. Detective Crenshaw set it up. Very important. Gotta go. In the name of all things holy, start the credits! <laughs> You've been listening to T-Bone Stone, The Discount Detective, a very amateur broadcast theater production starring Jake Vandebreak as T-Bone Stone and Gloriana Spicer as Verna Gibson. Additional cast members are Emmanuel Martinez as Jordan Hughes and The Apartment Manager, Ernie Wilson as Darren Reese, Gracie D. as Deborah Reese, Robert Comfort as Doug Walters, and Rick Ice as Frank Ford. The Case of the Peppermint Panopticon was written by Donald Spicer and directed by Doug Schaefer. Be sure to catch our next episode when T-Bone Stone says... A scientific model of strange matter, a miniature abacus, and a broken ping-pong paddle. Spell red rum in the case of the unusual side effect. The art director is George Venegas, and music is by Fezlian Studios. This is your announcer speaking. Red rum, red rum, red rum, squawk! <laughs>